Amen. Well, let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet and let's get into the book. Uh, we're not in Ruth today. This is my last message before I go on a sabbatical. And so I, I, I couldn't, yesterday just felt like it needed something else to be proclaimed today. Is that all right with y'all? Turn with me to John chapter 1, verses 3, 35 through 51. John 1, 35 through 51 on 3. 1, 2, 3, go. Amen, amen, amen. Our message for today, uh, this standalone is how Jesus changes things. How Jesus changes things. Let's go before the Lord Father. Thank you. Thank you for change. Uh, we're here because of that. So God, be with us as we dive into the text. Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength, our redeemer in whom we trust. And uh, help this to not just be a message, but it would be what it says it is. In Jesus' name. Everybody agree with that said? Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, one, of, one of the things many of you know is most of you know that I'm from D.C. I'm from Washington, D.C., born and bred. Amen, amen, amen. I'm, I'm a D.C. boy till I die. Um, uh, huh? Yeah, new, new, come on now, you know, new balance. We got to do new balance. That's... All day, D.C., my bad. That's a, you know, a little under. Anyway, my bad, my bad. Super Tams, everything. Um, and so, um, however, in moving to Philadelphia, um, 
and being a mis- feeling like a missionary to it. I feel like I've adopted Philly in some way, in many ways, and Philly's adopted me. So I love Philly. I have an avid love for Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania. Um, this is my city. This is my city, and I, I love Philadelphians. I like the 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 don't rub me the wrong wayness. The I, you know you understand what I'm saying? Like like if you ain't family, I don't know you. You know if I didn't grow up with that's Philly. If I, if you ain't grew up in my neighborhood, we ain't go to the same corner store, same school. I don't know you. Don't speak to me, right? Um, y'all know I'm telling the truth. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. It's like a village in every four blocks. It's like a village in, unto itself. Um, but but we see a lot of things going on in Philadelphia right now. We see um, new museums getting developed. Matter of fact, a billionaire donated his own whole art collection by Whole Foods uh, to build a new museum. Um, we see park beautification projects. Uh, we see redevelopment happening, high-rises, uh, restaur- uh, restaurant uh, revival happening in this city. Philly is one of the most beast mode places to eat and enjoy yourself and that type of thing. Uh, we see um, a strong art base happening in Philly, business development, and some of the greatest educational institutions in the world are in Philadelphia. Um, and and, and that, that, that's a side of Philadelphia that, that, that is, a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a tide of Philadelphia that a tourist may see. But there are parts of Philadelphia that are covered up by its overt renewal by covert brokenness. I mean, if you go to our neighborhood off the line of the highway of Diamond Street, it's, it's, it's not easy to find if you hit Gratz or you hit American, you're going to find out a different Philadelphia. Somebody should say amen right there. That's a different place. Uh, uh, if you go to West Philly past 48th Street, that's real West Philly. Before that is University City. You go into real West Philly, and it's a whole different ball game culturally about what really is Philly in that particular place and the challenges there. That's there. Lower Northeast by Frankfurt. On the other side of the boulevard by Castor. On the other side by the Riverfront communities. Uh, on the Lower Northeast, challenges there. And then the bottom itself, Southwest Philly, real Southwest Philly, on the other side of Baltimore Ave, you'll see a whole nother world um, 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 of Philadelphia. And what's interesting is I would say even though there's overt change happening in one place, not a lot of overt change happening in other places. One of the things we see that's in common, and there's a heartbrokenness. One of the things you got to recognize is I don't care how much gentrification you do, I don't care how much beautification you do, I don't care how much eminent domain you do, that doesn't change a city's heart. It, it may change the aesthetic and it may change the look, but let me just explain something to you. Whether you're middle, upper class, middle class, upper class, or you're lower class or no class, you all still have the same heart. And, 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 if you don't, and, and, if, and if don't let somebody think because they have it naturally better that they're in a good spiritual position. Uh, um, um, because, because before God, God doesn't look at the gentrification of your neighborhood. He looks at whether or not your soul has been redeveloped by the renewing power of the gospel. And so, and so as we come here, we want to see comprehensive shalom. Somebody say comprehensive. We believe that the gospel has comprehensive effect. When we say here at Epiphany Fellowship that the gospel has comprehensive effect, that means that we believe that the gospel changes your soul, yet because there's a kingdom that's here, but the kingdom that's ultimately coming, there should be some change that happens practically in people's lives just because the church is there. 
help me today. There are three cities in the city. There's upper city, there's lower city, but that's really one city. That's the visible city. But then there is the invisible city that's supposed to show itself visibly. Are y'all trucking with me? The, the visible city is just the normal stuff you see with just regular people with unchanged hearts. But there's another city that's a special ops team. That's the special rangers of the kingdom that have had their hearts transformed by the renewing power of the gospel. And they have a new heart and a new spirit and the spirit in them. And God's statutes etched on their hearts. They are a city within the city. And this city within the city is supposed to show people that your soul can be changed and your situation can be changed. Oh, y'all missed that right there. That was good right there. You're supposed to show people that their soul and their situation can be changed. So as we look in this text, I believe Jesus gives the preamble to the Christian constitution. Him giving this preamble is showing us the beautiful uh, potency of the power of his person when practically positioned in your life. And so if you allow him to come into your life and recreate your life, he can, through his Christology, can create a new crack in your soul to help you to be recreated for his glory. Are you hearing me today? And so what we see here in this passage is his first contact with his disciples. Now, this isn't the time in Luke and in Matthew where he sees them and chooses them after praying. This is, this is his first contact with them. And it is a beautiful contact situation because in here are the principles of how things change. And so that brings me to my first point, my first point in how Jesus changes things. Number one is Jesus invites you to ride with him. Jesus invites you to ride with him. I, I like this. I, I, I believe that one of the things that Jesus would do if he was here today, he would be like an Uber driver. That's what he'd do on the side to make money. And then he'd go around places preaching. I, I believe that'd be, I believe Uber, Lyft, whatever you want. Somebody looking at me, I go Lyft. I, go, I ain't trying to fight that. Whatever you do, but you know what I'm talking about. All right, look at the text. Look at the text, verse 35. He says, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. So John is standing, possibly by the Jordan. We don't know where, where they are right now necessarily. He's chopping it up with two dudes. It's, it's real. Now, I don't know what he's saying, but, but he's standing there. He's talking to his disciples. And this is, this, I like narrative literature because it gives you uh, 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 aromatic expressions of character. Look, look what happens. It says, and when Jesus, uh, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. I like that. So John and his boys right here, they talking. John is probably posted where he can see Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ intentionally walks in the visual view of John. And that's, that's what I like about Jesus. Jesus wanted to make sure you see him. Help me today. Jesus isn't a covert operator. He likes to overtly be seen. Okay, so anyway, we're going to come back to that. So Jesus walked past. Jesus was cool. You know, I don't believe he, you know, he just walked past. He walked past them, you know what I'm saying? He didn't even speak because you know how fly. He didn't even have to speak to them, right? You know, you know, Jesus so cool. He said, yeah, they're going to see me. <laughs> they're going to see me. So he walks past, and as Jesus walks past, John, John, John was like, yo, look. And the two dudes turned their head. He said, the Lamb of God. That's how I went, man, y'all. Listen, that's how I went. And so, and so, and so, and so, and so, I, I like that he said, look. Somebody say, look. I like the way he pointed their attention from himself towards Jesus. 
Help me today. You can't walk with Jesus well until you notice that there's a difference between you and him. Help me today. They, they, they were, listen, they were looking at John, but John said, stop looking at me and look at him. There's an old Christian hip-hop song that take your eyes off me. Put your eyes on him. It's called Jehovah Rophi. I want to be your trophy. Oh, I'm dating myself. My bad. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. But, but what's beautiful right here is it, it, the beauty of the fact that John places the attention on him. But it's not just because a lot of people place attention on Jesus. But the question is, what about Jesus are you telling people to pay attention to? So, so what he says, what he says is something interesting. He says, look. Like, old translations say, behold. Don't nobody say that no more. Like, that'd be weird. Behold. They'd be like, what you talking about? Like, anyway. Look, the Lamb of God. Don't miss that definitive article. That definitive article lets you know that whoever the the is is distinct from anybody else that's supposed to be like that. In other words, he didn't say, look, a Lamb of God. In other words, one among many. But he says, duh, to give you a definitive disposition on how distinct Jesus is. And they would have historically understood based on Tanakh or uh, Torah, uh, uh, Nebuchim and Kathuvim, a.k.a. the Old Testament. They would have went back and they would have thought in their mind, Lamb of God, how is a person a lamb? Help me today. In other words, they were used to the sacrificial lamb. They were used to Passover. They were used to Yom Kippur. They were used to the sacrificial system. They were used to Thanksgiving offerings, peace offerings. But that was never human. In other words, a person passed and he calls him a lamb. Now, don't think being a lamb is a sucker move. Because being a lamb is the strongest thing that he could have been. Oh, y'all looking at me funny. See, y'all think because we call him a lamb, he's some type of sucker. No, it takes a lot of boldness to die for sins you didn't do. I mean, and so, and, so, and so he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, what I like about that, what I like about that is what happens next. What happens next is that the two disciples heard him say this, talking about John, and followed him, followed Jesus. Now, the idiomatic expression of followed him or followed Jesus is an expression that is heavily in Johannine or John's literature and employed in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And, and, and that idea of follow, somebody say follow. Follow is discipleship terminology. It, it, it's, 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 it's John, the young disciple, utilizing his artistic gift to the glory of Jesus Christ to give you an embedded idea of what he's going to build on throughout the book under the deity of Christ in the idea of what is a proper response to Jesus Christ being God. Now, you got to understand Culturally, people followed people back in their day. So Jesus, this, you gotta, let's recreate the scene now. John standing there, two disciples. John looking this way, they looking that way. <coughs> Jesus walks past. Behold the Lamb of God. They turn around. They peel off as Jesus is walking and start following him. Oh, you ain't, you ain't get that. In other words, they didn't say bye. They didn't say see you later. But when they heard that he was definitive one to shut it down, their response to Jesus Christ was, John, holler at you later. And, 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 and they started walking behind him now. This is what I like about Jesus. 
He's not this visual sucker that we paint on our church murals and walls. Okay, so Jesus walking. He's walking. These dudes peeled off. And one of the things that, you know, for me, if two dudes following me, I don't know if I'm in a rural area, suburban area, urban, I don't care where I'm at. If two strange dudes, if I make a left, they make a left. If I make a right, they make a right. I'm probably going to take my hoodie off, ball my fists up, making sure everything in place. So that as soon as I turn around, I might have to, you know, just pray for me. All right. And so, and so, but, but, but Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't do that. Look, look at what, what the Savior does. It says, Jesus turned. That's, that's hardcore right there. He ain't like speed up, run nothing. He turned and noticed them following him. Somebody say follow him. Now, John's playing with us right now. He uses double entendre all the time. Um, what he does is he's utilizing the idea that back in the day, if you went to Jerusalem or to different places, you would see rabbis walking and an entourage walking behind them. This entourage usually would be other disciples who are walking behind that rabbi. So the rabbi will walk like this. The disciple will walk like this. If the rabbi stopped and looked up in the sky, his entourage would stop and look up the sky. In other words, they want to be and do everything like their disciple maker, so they follow him around. <clears throat> However, Jesus sees that that's a cultural form of following. Help me today. <laughs> in, in other words, <clears throat> cultural following doesn't mean cult following. Okay, let me explain the difference. When I say cult, I'm not talking about starting a cult. I'm talking about that disposition. You have, a, you have an artist that you love. And that no matter what they put out, you just ride with them. No matter what their number on the billboard charts are, you're going to follow them because you love them. Right? See, <clears throat> see, when you know Jesus, you're a cult follower. You don't care if they are popular or win awards. You just like their art because you're committed to what they're putting out. Jesus wants to know, are you a cult follower or not? In other words, <clears throat> are you committed to what he puts out or are you committed to his popularity? See, I wonder how many, uh, help me today, I wonder how many Christians are committed to Jesus because he's popular to talk about, but I wonder what would happen if it got hard to be in Christ, if it got challenging to be in Christ, if something going to happen. Are you a ride or die? Will you download him anyway? Help me today. <laughs> but what I like is Jesus stops, turns around, hardcore type stuff, stops, turns around, <clears throat> he talks to them first. That's the, I love that. He said, notice them following him. And he asked a question. What are you looking for? I like that. He didn't say, hi, how you doing? See, this, I'm telling y'all, this is another Jesus we talking about, right? He turned around, he said, what y'all looking for? I believe he said it just like that. What y'all looking for? You know, when you, you know when you go like this, you know what I'm saying? That's, a, that's, that's different, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's a different disposition. You understand what I mean? So he turns around and says, what y'all looking for? Now, let me explain something to you about the questions of Jesus. One day I'm going to do a sermon series on 10 questions of Jesus. Now, you got to understand, Jesus has never asked atmospheric questions. He always asks heart questions. So this question, in other, in other words, he wasn't asking them, do y'all need directions? In other words, he, he was asking them, if I can translate this exegetically in an Eric Mason translation, I would translate it, what y'all want for real, for real? 
In other words, I see how you look like you're following me. I see how you look like you're submitted to me. But do you really, like, are you following me because of what you perceive me to have? Or are you following me because you want to hear whatever it is I have to say, no matter how good it is and no matter how hard it is? See, you know you're a trained disciple if you can hear the good stuff and the hard stuff. If you go to a church and all you hear is the good stuff, you got to, listen, I like the way the old church used to say, they say, preach it all, reverend, preach it all. You got to have it all. See, Jesus, Jesus, he said, what you want for real, for real? Because he's like, if you, if you come in my domain, I'm going to give you that real. You know what I'm saying? I, I could just see him doing that. And so here in the text, it shows us a beautiful idea of how Jesus says this. Now, what I like, I like, I like what he's about to say even more next. He says, he says, they said to him, Rabbi, and this is which means teacher, where you stand? Now, in this culture, this would have been customary, okay, to ask someone where they're saying, or particularly a rabbi. So it's not really weird in our culture. Somebody asks you where you stand, you're like, you don't know me like that. Why you asking me where I'm living at, man? Ask me where I live. Come on, man. I live where I'm at. That's where I'm at. Asking me no questions like that. Verse 39. Know what I like about the Savior? He said, come and see. Know what I like about Jesus? He's not afraid of skepticism. (laughs) Oh, y'all not going to talk back to me. See, Jesus, Jesus invites critique. He invites it because, because what he likes to do is to get you alone and answer whatever question you want. In other words, if you are a religious skeptic, a spiritual skeptic, and, and you don't like whatever, Jesus invites you to investigate his character. But just know this. When you investigate him, it's not really you investigating him. It's, it's not, it's, listen, it's not really you investigating the Savior. He's actually about to get at you. Like, when, when, when Christ, like Christ got, like, you sit there, like, if you really talk to the real Savior, not the ghost on the wall, but I'm talking about, like, the real Savior, I'm just letting you know, when you come to investigate, prepare for surgery. I don't know about you, but I remember when I was a skeptic, and I thought I was going to light Jesus up, and I walked away, shook in my boots, because I had come face-to-face with the King of Kings and face-to-face with the Lord of Lords. A real encounter with Jesus Christ will change your life. A real encounter with Jesus Christ will change your mind. A real encounter with Jesus Christ will change your heart. That's that, a real, I ain't talking about no punk encounter. I'm talking about the real encounter. Jesus says, come and see. I, li- I like that type of stuff right there. When he begins to invite you and that's not him going on some thug exploit but what it is is he loves you enough to deal with your ignorance of him i mean i mean he, he i mean i don't like imagine somebody thinking something of you that's not true most of us wouldn't want to talk to them but, 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 but Jesus Christ actually says, come on, ask what you want. That's how you know somebody's really secure. <laughs> he's really secure in who he is. And because he's secure in who he is, he can deal with the blows 
of anyone that's frustrated with how he's been presented, represented, or how he is. And so that's the beauty of this text as he goes in on them. Look what it says next. He says, come see. And so he replied, they went, it says, so they went, they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about the fourth, four, four in the afternoon. I like that. Because now Jesus has them stay the rest of the day with him. And he talks to them and patiently engaged them over all that time. Look what's next. It says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. There's that followed him again. And so, so now we, we, got the, we got the identity of one of the first people in the text that Jesus Christ gave an opportunity to be a disciple. And so Andrew does something crazy. After he finishes with Jesus, this encounter did something to him. It, 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 when you encounter him, it does something to you. And because his encounter with Jesus did something to him, the first thing he wanted to do is to tell somebody else about that encounter. Oh, help me today. When Jesus Christ, when you encounter him and he changes you, you cannot help but tell somebody else about the goodness of Jesus. I'm going to raise you on that one. If you say you've been changed by Jesus, but you've never told anybody about Jesus, I question whether or not you've been changed by Jesus in the first place. <laughs> Andrew goes and tells his brother. He says, yo, man, look. He, he goes against his brother, and look, I like what he said. He first found his own brother. He went to his family and told him, we found the Messiah. Hold on. He was just rabbi. <laughs> it, 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 just a few minutes ago, he was just a general teacher. <laughs> now, after he encountered Jesus, he calls him Messiah. Now, don't get excited yet, because his understanding of Messiah wasn't clear yet. In other words, they thought the Messiah would just come to bring physical deliverance, not spiritual deliverance. So he tells him, so, so, so Peter, he tells Peter, once he tells Peter, I like the, the fact that he said he brought his brother to Jesus. I like that. Then it says, when Jesus saw him, he said, oh, man, you assignment. He didn't believe like you were Simon. He was like, oh, Simon. <laughs> Be careful when Jesus say your name like that. When he, when he get that, that little incurvation thing. You know what I'm saying? Son of John, you will be called Cephas. Hold on. <laughs> How you just meet money and you giving him a nickname already? <laughs> right? But he names him Rock. Somebody say Rock. It's crazy. Now, why in the world would you meet somebody and name them a nickname that's not clearly what he is? I mean, Peter is going to put his foot in his mouth. He's going to deny Jesus three times. He's going to be like, Jesus, I'm telling you, I'll ride with you. I straight up ride with you. You know he's doing all, you know when somebody's trying to convince you something, they're going all like that. You know, I ride with you. And Jesus, Jesus sitting there chilling like an old head. He says, before the cock crows three times, 
you're going to deny me. He said, no, not me, Jesus. No. <laughs> right? <laughs> but he calls him rock. What I like about Jesus is he doesn't call you based on where you are. Hold on, but hold on. Let me set it up before you shout. Don't think he sees anything in you. Oh, see, some of y'all are like, oh, no, he saw something. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He didn't see nothing about you that gave you value enough to be called by stability. Everything about you is a mess, but what he does is he prophetically sees into what you're going to be, and so he gives you a name that's a vision for where he wants you to be. Somebody ought to hear me today. <laughs> he calls you a rock. He calls Peter a rock. Know what I like about Jesus? He doesn't discriminate in brokenness. Okay, y'all looking at me funny. When he finally gets all the 120 together, guess who he calls? He calls religious skeptics, shady businessmen, Hebrew fundamentalists, thief, thugs, shady government workers, radical Jews, mama's boys, and spoiled rich kids, and formerly demon-possessed women, and prostitutes. As ground zero for the first people to represent him. Listen, no matter where you've been, the change that Jesus brings to you is enough to make people look at him as they look at you. Help me today. <laughs> this is this beautiful. And, and when, we, when, we, when you see this reality, it's Jesus doesn't call those who see themselves as something. See, coming to Jesus means you got to die to your somethingness. And, and, and then see yourself with good self-awareness that if it had not been for the goodness of Christ coming in your life and coming after you and changing you and shaping you, everything that you are that's good, everything that you are that's a blessing, everything that you are that's just, everything in you that's good comes from above. Comes from above. You better not get it twisted, family. You're not that great, but with Christ in your life, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. With Christ in your life, you're a changer of the world. With Christ in your life, you're the head and not the tail. With Christ! I got to move. I got to move. I got to move. Don't you ever think that anything that you even worked hard for. See, some of you are duped into thinking that your hard work gave you the results. But there are a lot of people that work hard. But if God does it on your situation, I don't care how hard your big behind work. If you don't have the blowage of the Holy Ghost, none of that stuff will become anything. Nothing that you are will ever come. Let me tell you something. 
Change just takes a blow, one blow from heaven. <laughs> I, I got to go to the last point, last point. <coughs> Jesus causes you to see and experience real life change. Jesus causes you to see and experience real life change. Look at the verse. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus was working hard. Spent the evening with these dudes. Dude brought his brother over late in the night. Like Jesus ain't got to get no sleep. The next day, the disciples leave for Galilee. Jesus' hometown. He decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Philip does it. Interesting. Philip was from Bethesda. And that's a different city than Galilee. See what I'm saying? Bethesda, Society Hill. Galilee, Strawberry Mansion. <laughs> I ain't putting nothing down. Southwest Philly, something like that. So Je that's where Jesus grew up. So Jesus didn't grow up in the nice place. Jesus grew up in the grimy place. God chose to bring himself out of the grimy place, not the nice place. Oh, y'all not going to hear me today. 44. Now, Philip was from Bethesda, the hometown of Andrew and Philip. I'm Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel, one of his boys, and told him. He said, guess what, man? You would never guess this. We found the one Moses wrote about and the prophets. Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Craziness. Crazy, he says, crazy. So he like, you know, Nate said, now, let me get this straight. The son of Joseph and Mary from Nazareth. Basically, Nazareth of Galilee. You mean that Nazareth? He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? In other words... Man, I don't, you know, you know, you got a friend. You ever told your friend something? And they always telling you something like superlatives. You know, he seemed like that, that was the friendship they had. And he, he's like, "Can anything good come out? Uh, come, you know, you know how much somebody don't believe." They say, "Come on, man." They walk away. Come on, man. Right? Look what happens. And the thing you ask, what I like about Philip, Philip saying, "Don't take my word for it. Come and see." He's the same words that Jesus used to the first two disciples when he told them to come investigate. In other words, it's not on you to convince people who Jesus is if you just take people to Jesus. Too many of y'all are trying to take people to you. So many of y'all are trying to bring people to church. Some of y'all are trying to bring people to an event. But if you just bring people to Jesus, he'll do the rest of the work. Look at what it says. It says that Jesus saw Nathaniel coming. So Jesus saw him far off. You ever see somebody, you just stand back and you just go like this as they coming. Jesus sees Nathaniel coming. And he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He's like, coming his way. He said, man, you don't know how you, he said, how you know me? In other words, he not only told him something in his life, he told him about what people normally say about him. In other words, he's a real dude. He's that, he, he keep it 100. Nate is the dude, he's the disciple that keeps it all the way 100, 100% of the time. 
Jesus prophetically says to him, yeah, man, you, you, you won without deceit. Then Nate says to him, he said, how you know me, man? Nathaniel said, before Philip called you, uh, he's, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus said to him, he said, before Philip called you, did he call you? Remember when he called you? He said, yo, come in. He said, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. He said, before he talked to you about coming to see me, I saw you already. So he said, how he see us by the fig tree? And he all the way over here. And we walk, oh, man, this is nuts. He says to him, Rabbi, Nathaniel replied, you are the son of God. He calls him God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus like, Jesus chuckles. He said, he said see, do you believe just because I told you, I saw you under the free? He's like, Jesus like, that's nothing. He said, listen, he said, that was just a little something, something I can do. You know, I, I mean, I do that in my sleep. You understand what I'm saying? You know, I, I'm, I am who I, you know what I'm saying? He said, let, let, me, let me tell you something that you should be rocked by. He says, you will see greater things than this. He said, truly I tell you, you will see heaven open. It's crazy. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, he gives them all kind of signals back to the Old Testament. Now, in order to appreciate what he's saying, you have to go back to Genesis. In Genesis, Jacob had a vision. Some people call it the vision of Jacob's ladder. And if you remember this ladder, the top of it touched heaven. The bottom of it touched earth. There was someone standing at the top of it looking down. The angels were going up and down on it. In other words, they were using this ladder to go to earth and to come back to heaven. Jesus says, you will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Why is that so important? Because Jesus, a ladder is made of wood. Uh-oh. Y'all missing it. Y'all ain't got it yet. It's okay. The top of it touched heaven. The bottom of it touched earth. In other words, what Jesus says he is, he said, I'm the means to grab heaven with one hand, grab earth with another hand, and merge them. <laughs> Y'all still ain't get it. You missed your shout moment. In other words, I'm able to connect things together that shouldn't be connected. Oh, some of y'all must have experienced Jesus before. I, I don't know about you, but I've had some times in my life where Jesus Christ has connected some things in my life, done some miracles in my life, opened some doors in my life, closed some stuff in my life uh, that should, how many of you ever had something in your life that should have never happened? A door that should have never opened, a relationship that should have never been reconciled, a family member that came back from the dead that should have been dead in their grave. You were sick in your body, but he made your body come back to full health. He specializes in bringing things together that should not be brought together. But the greatest thing in the universe that he brought together was your messed up soul and the eternality of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. His death on the cross is what brings you back into a relationship with God. You get to sup with him. You get to talk to him. You get to pray to him. 
You get to understand his word, but you get to spend eternity with him. All because on Friday, it got real dark. Because he hung his head in the locks of his shoulders, and he died. Didn't he die? But then early on Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hands. I'm so glad that he brings together what can't be brought together. Do I have two or three people that can testify with me that God brought some stuff together that shouldn't have been brought together? God helped me out in some ways that should have never been helped out. When I think about the goodness, I got to close. If you ever had anything in your life of value, Jesus Christ is a reconciliation restoration specialist. I'm going to leave you with this. One of the things, have a love hate relationship with autocorrect. <laughs> I do. But there are times with autocorrect when I don't know how to spell something. And I, and I, what I'll do is I'll start spelling it my wrong way. Trusting that in the process of me typing it, the correction will show itself up and I'll be able to click what I'm not able to do and what I'm not able to spell and get credit for having clear grammar even though I didn't know how to spell it in the first place. Jesus' blood is your autocorrect. <laughs> you put your confidence in him, trusting that he's going to edit your soul and make you into who God wants you to be. Every head bow, every eye closed. If you're here today and you've never...